Welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm <laughs> Raul. <laughs> I'm a filmmaker. I'm a scientist. Every week we watch a movie. And then we talk about it. Get a little switcheroo there. I'm really unprepared to be Raul for this whole episode. <laughs> we, can, we can switch back. <laughs> All right. Okay, we're, we are in our own bodies again. So this week um, we watched a 1997 movie, Gross Point Blank. Wasn't Con Air also 97? Was it? Yeah. That's great. We can talk about that. We're really hitting that uh, that year hard. Yeah. I think the time is now for romanticizing 90s movies. Fuck yeah. We've waited long enough. Right. I was just looking at, I have a, some old computer game CDs, and one of them is uh, called Lego Creator. Mm-hmm. It's from 19, 1998. The disc looks so cool. When I was growing up, like middle school through high school, I didn't have like a desktop until like late in high school, but I always had this Half-Life one physical copy of that game that i was never able to play and it was the cause of a lot of anxiety like i really wanted to play this game it looks so cool in the box the box looks so cool you saying just because it was like a pc game you didn't have a powerful enough computer yeah well i didn't have a computer for the longest time and then i got like this really low powered machine and i would pop the cd in and it just wouldn't work it would like kind of boot up and then stop and i just did not have like the wherewithal to troubleshoot any further yeah i remember that period of my life where i was like oh you need a a graphics card and then like i would go like go to walmart and get like the only available graphics card that they sold there (laughs) like a piece of shit when did you first get like a pc or like home computer i've had like a computer for a long time like 98 like from where that disc was from like i was playing games as far back as then damn my dad had a mac that i would play games on and then i had like some kind of old dell in my room by the time i was like 13 or something i can't decide if it's a good idea or a bad idea to like give children and like young adults computers growing up like as a parenting decision right i don't know where to land on it as someone who is highly opinionated with no kids i don't know where to land on it either I have a younger cousin of mine, and several years ago when he was like, uh, you know, maybe 10 or a little younger, he was trying to get his mom to buy him a computer. And the mom, like, talked to me about it. She's like, like, oh, do you think it's like a good idea? Like, I I don't know. It seems like a lot of money. It was like a few hundred dollars. Nothing crazy. Okay. (laughs) And, And then I like, I try to make the argument to her that like having a PC is very, it's like a good thing to have for a kid because you get to learn how to use a computer if the kid is properly motivated like that's what happens yeah yeah but but what he just ended up doing is is just minecraft video games and a short-lived youtube channel that i frequented oh you told me about the youtube channel i think yeah that's a weird thing that like i have to remind myself that children do (laughs) but have you ever like stumbled across like a kid's like youtube channel Uh uh-huh like when you're searching for something else (laughs) <laughs> i'm like what i'm like watching a tutorial on like how to do some like advanced like motion tracking and the the person on the other end sounds like they're like 11 <laughs> and it, it makes me both like impressed and also skeptical i'm like wow this kid is like making actual legit use usable content but then i'm also like do they really even know what they're talking about <laughs> they're just watching the other instructional videos yeah. carbon copies of other tutorials Let's rein it in. All right. So this week we watched Gross Point Blank, which was a pick from Raul. Why did you want to watch this movie so bad? I don't know. I just, I really like this movie. I don't know if it's particularly 
popular mm-hmm. like even if you're a fan of john cusack and the director's done nothing else it's just like a one-off director not important but even in the john cusack discography it's like not a high shining gem but it's just something that i've seen in the past and and i don't know why the the plot really resonated with me the first time that i saw it when did you see it for the first time uh let's call it like six seven eight years ago maybe oh so recently like not like in your childhood not in my childhood and and i think the movie i want to talk about this more but the target demographic for this movie is definitely boys between the ages of like 16 to 24 not unlike con air yeah yeah Because like the whole premise of the movie, the fact that he's going back to his hometown and reconnecting with all these high school friends, and it's like a big deal. Like the whole town is like talking about this high school reunion, like it's some kind of big event. Uh huh. And and it's a movie that definitely like bites into the like just holding up high school as like a very important point in your life. Right. Like a lot of movies from this time did they like romanticize high school, mm-hmm. and this movie does that as well. It's got two like really common hooks, I think that like when mashed together make a really quirky comedy or quirky Mm -hmm. 90s movie this movie i think straddles action and comedy but it's a high school it's like the return to high school as a gimmick and then like hitmen as a gimmick yeah and then you like put john cusack as the center of all that and you've got yourself a pretty good uh blend of genres yeah, maybe we should uh, get into the give a little synopsis of what's going on here. Totally. So main character, John Cusack, is a hitman, you know, a gun for hire. Uh, the movie opens with him doing an attempted hit, and he's very cool. He's like wearing a black suit, and he's fitted with all of the latest technology that the late 90s had to offer. Earpieces, right. pagers, all that stuff. <laughs> So while he's doing a hit, he's talking to his assistant who is telling, letting him know that he just got like a piece of mail saying that his high school reunion is coming, the 10 year reunion, uh, and kind of chiding him that he should go. And I want to jump in really quick and say a couple things that that assistant is what we found out is Joan Cusack, which Mm -hmm. is John's sister. That's not a joke. Yep. (laughs) That's not the only sister that's in the movie. There's another one. There's another one of his sisters. Really? Yeah. Who? Small role. It's like his love interest. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Stacy just pointed this out to me. She was like Googling, but she's the one that comes up to their table when John Cusack and the love interest are uh, just at like a restaurant. And she comes up and like drunkenly starts talking Dude, to them. Oh my God. Okay. That makes so much sense to me now. <laughs> Why? Because when I saw that the first time, like I immediately thought that was his secretary. Oh, really? They look so similar. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, his, like, secretary is, like, confronting him. Like, I thought that she somehow, like, went over to the town that he was in and, like, was really getting in his grill about, (laughs) like, not getting the job or, like, not taking the job because she was afraid for him. This is what happens when you just start casting your entire extended family in your movie. Like, the audience starts getting (laughs) confused. I'm like, wait, are these guys related? Right. These people look identical. (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up for me. Back to the beginning scene, I feel like when she's talking to him over the phone about this high school reunion invitation that he has, and he's doing all of this like in the midst of doing like a hit. Which is very 90s. Like you, you got to be doing something cool. Right. And so I feel like that's a good setup for the overall tone of this movie. He's just like so cool that he's like multitasking, mm-hmm. doing this like a really high level hit while also just doing logistical work with his secretary on a headset. 
And so obviously his position towards a high school reunion is hesitant because he's too cool to do that kind of shit. And then the plot proceeds a little bit. Actually, this part kind of confuses me. The whole pretense for him to go to back to his hometown, I feel is just like kind of tossed together. Like, is it even worth going into? It it almost feels irrelevant. Like it does. Plot. Yeah, it yeah. does feel completely irrelevant. But I mean, basically, they, they uh, set up some kind of reason that for, he would need to be in that area for like business reasons, you know, for hitman business. And so conveniently, you know, he doesn't want to go to the reunion, but he has to be in the area anyways. So it's a good opportunity. You could have, like, in the screenwriting process, just as effectively done this by being like, he hesitantly decides to go to the high school reunion. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't really need the, the mechanic of how he has to be there for some Hitman-related reason. I think they're really just trying to preserve his his coolness. I'm like, he, there's no way that a guy this suave... It doesn't matter. ...and this much gel in his hair would... <laughs> ever willingly go back to high school reunion he ends up going for mixed reasons and then he does the whole like coming back to town cheesy thing that i feel like i've seen in other movies yeah yeah. like oh my god like where have you been and he uh has to go through the whole quirky jokey way of explaining what he does which is to just literally telling everybody to tell everyone the truth that's his strategy here and just it's so ridiculous that no one believes him like, if he does that with every single person he meets, like, eventually they're going to start... Eventually, people are going to come together and be like, yeah, like, this guy told me he was a serial killer or, like, a, a hitman kills people for a right. living. It's like, he told me that, too. Right. Oh, wait, he also said that to me. And then, boom, his cover's blood. Either this guy is a really consistent, like, joke teller that reuses the same bit over and over, or he's actually a hitman. <laughs> Two really extreme outcomes. Right, right. The one scene that in particular that like I really like is when he's talking to like the old teacher outside of the school. That's pretty early on when he shows back up in town. Yeah, and, and the dialogue is it, just so nicely encapsulates the the tone of the dialogue in this whole movie. It's very snappy. It's very clever. One hundred percent written movie dialogue. Yes. Does not sound natural at all. Which, like, the 90s and, like, all of John Cusack's roles has made me believe that that's just how John Cusack talks. That he just speaks in one-liners effortlessly all the time. Mm -hmm. So I guess to round out the plot of this movie, because it doesn't get more complex than what we just said. Nah. Reconnects with a love interest, meets some familiar faces, um, and then there's, like, a final showdown between him and some other hitmen at the end. And really, that's all you need to know. That's basically it. We interrupt this podcast for a quick word from our renowned in-house film critic, Kartik. Take it away. What I like about these kind of movies is that there's no investment at the beginning. Yeah. So you can just lay back and just watch it. No, I mean romantic comedy. Yeah, great genre. Would you classify it as a romantic comedy? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think so too. It's a rom- If there's a, a genre, romantic comedy thriller, <laughs> I might make it that. <laughs> yeah. What about an overall rating? Oh, it's 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was just a super catchy movie. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's just really, you don't know what's around the next corner. You Basically, you, I feel like you feel for the guy. He seems like a nice dude, to be honest. Murderer side. Yeah, and it, it, the whole thing is just strange as hell. Uh-huh. Just the way it normalizes the killing. All those factors, I think, just keep keep you hooked. Like, all your toes. 
That was this week's hot take with Kartik. Back to the podcast. Let's do some hot takes. Like, just what did you think of the movie overall? I really liked this. I didn't know anything about this movie, and so I came in cold. I think you might be right in that it's not very popular. Based on the quality alone, like, if I did some research, I feel like there would have to be, like, some kind of cult following with this movie because it's unique enough. Yeah. And especially if it's just, like, a one-time director debut. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't see why people wouldn't love this movie and come back to it, you know? But it doesn't seem to have one, right? I don't know. I haven't done any. Like, if you put the, if you Google it, there's not like people writing articles, you know, in this, in this decade about this movie or anything like that. If that is all true, where there is not a cult following associated with this movie, and it was strictly something that was like extracted from something you watched and liked, I'm very impressed because I like this movie a lot and I feel like it deserves some sort of cult following. And now we are cult leaders. We are starting the following. We are cult leaders. Sign up at the Filmhole Pod on Twitter to become part of the cult. Easiest sign up process for a cult ever. Give us like three or four years and we'll have like a proper commune set up. <laughs> no, but yeah, you're, you're right that this was kind of a weird pick for me. I like I didn't try to pick from a list of critically acclaimed movies or anything like that. It's just like a movie that I think is really quirky and really interesting and really good to watch and like a it's so bad it's good kind of way it's crazy watchable oh yeah it has like just the right amount of cool and like the right amount of stupid Mm -hmm. involved in sort of a different way than con air had like con air is just so stupid like all the way through and like pulls no punches as far as 90s absurdity goes this one like has a lot of that stuff but it's also kind of Mm self-aware so I don't know. It's just a a really good mix of stuff for me. I also think this movie is really interesting. And like John Cusack's character is kind of a calendar culture kind of misanthrope person. Mm -hmm. Not too unlike the role that he'll play in a couple more years after this at High Fidelity, where he essentially plays like a misanthrope record store owner, a huge record head, like really into pop music and underground music. But essentially the exact same character, but just imagine him in a record store. I feel like John Cusack has one beat in all, like every role he's ever been in. Like he's just John Cusack, but John Cusack as a character also happens to be this cool countercultural guy Mm -hmm. who speaks in one-liners. How much John Cusack have you seen before? I can only think of like three, three or four movies off the top of my head same but in all those movies they are the same character so that's what makes me so confident in that assessment that i just made <laughs> but like i've i know him from con air from this now high fidelity is something that you mentioned although i've never seen it 1408 identity he was in the movie 2012 oh yeah that movie was a disaster Whew, you. <laughs> those are the the ones that come to mind but let me just put it this way. I've seen John Cusack maybe in more than what I just listed, but I cannot imagine like one time when his like character was different than what we see here. The only exception I can think of is you ever seen being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah, of course I've seen that. OK, yeah, that's actually a great example. But he plays like uh, the starters. He has like really long. You know what? He has the exact same hair that Nicolas Cage has in Con Air. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's just like grimy, like long 90s hair. Yeah. It's like in a ponytail, I believe. Uh-huh. He plays like a really weird puppeteer. That, I guess this is the reason I didn't think of this movie is because like 
it doesn't read like normal John Cusack at all. No. The way he looks and acts in that movie. Anyways, great movie. I, I would definitely rewatch Being John Malkovich. You should do a double feature with Being John Malkovich and Adaptation. Same director, and they are in the same universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. You mentioned this, that other Nicolas Cage film. Yeah, highly recommend watching those two movies as a double feature. That is going to happen. Let's jump into these notes that you got. So one thing that's interesting to me about this movie is is the fact that both you and I were one year apart from when we graduated. I graduated in 2012 and you the year before me, 2011. It is now the, the year of our Lord 2020. So we actually have our 10 year high school reunions coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about this movie in the context of that? Just thinking how what those interactions would be like with people that we went to high school with. Uh huh. And how I actually f feel like relatable to John Cusack. Obviously, I'm not a hitman, but I definitely like went a lot further than a lot of people like in my immediate vicinity. Yeah. Yeah. In, in high school, you know, I don't know how usable this this is because I don't want to sound like an elitist or that I'm better than everybody. Oh, uh, your class sucked. I hope none of them are listening to this show. <laughs> but yeah, they they didn't do a lot. And so. I feel like I would come in and like almost like John Cusack, you know, has this, at least in the context of this movie, this arguably like kind of lavish lifestyle. Yeah. Like they they kind of uh, romanticize his hitmanness in this movie. You kind of have to just accept that. Yeah. It's so cool to be a hitman in this movie. And that's not us saying that. That's just how it's portrayed. That is the movie saying that. Right. And it's cool. Like, I buy it in the context of this movie. But because it's so, like, far removed from what's culturally acceptable in society that he can't even talk about it in a way that anybody can appreciate or understand why he loves it so much. Ah. And that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> if I were to go back to my high school reunion and maybe you feel this way too like I'm an artist I work for like a marketing department like I make all these cool videos and animations that like thousands of people watch like all the time uh you were working on machine learning and you're like at a very prestigious university but it's like in the context of the people that like we went to high school with that like means nothing that's an interesting point I didn't even think of that he can't tell them what he really does, obviously, because it's illegal and it'll blow his cover. But mm -hmm. like if we went back, we couldn't talk as openly as we could about like our careers because it might be like maybe a little bit show offy or they just or they just literally wouldn't understand. This is like a, the same problem that I deal with my family sometimes. Like a lot of what I do like is so over their head that they can't really appreciate it. Like for the in the reasons that like people in my field appreciate it, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. So I, f I feel like there is some parallel there unintentionally did not like think about that coming into this movie, huh. but I definitely feel like a parallel to Cusack's character in that way. It's almost like we see ourselves through the characters on screen. Actually, I made a note here. I wanted to talk about this a little bit more about like the use of technology in this film. In particular, it's it's these like weird databases that they have where they can just pull up anybody's information. I thought that was really interesting. Like when he, she's kind of looking at a digital dossier of all of the rival assassins. Yeah. And then like also there's like a couple feds that are after him or something. Right, right. So this is not like unheard of in movies. In fact, it's like kind of a trope 
just the idea that there would exist databases and that they're so extensive and so powerful. You just have to do a couple of keystrokes and you have all the information that you can need. Right. That's something that was in a lot of movies. I thought that's how real life worked for a long time. Uh-huh. That there were centralized databases for everything right. and that computers were just like magical devices that could bring up any piece of information. Well, that's what they are now. That's what they are now. Yeah, that's yeah. what's crazy. Yeah. There, there's one scene where um, towards the end of the movie, when we find out that the hit, the hit job is the father of the romantic interest. Who is an ice, old high school girlfriend? Old high school. It's just why. Is that the person that the hit is on? Or, <laughs> of course, that's the person that the it's, hit is on. Yeah. Why not? It's, it's so too on the nose. Yeah. But, but this um, whole movie is like on the nose. So what are mm, you going to do? But when, when we find out that that happens and that John Cusack is the person that's been assigned to kill him, of course, he immediately, you know, decides that he can't do that, but instead has to protect the father from some other characters that we haven't really mentioned, but they're also bad guys. But he goes to the, the father right away and says, um, you know, here's the file on you. He brings out a file and the dad looks through it. And he's like, my whole life is here. Like really amazed. Yeah, I remember that line. Like that's that's nothing nowadays. I have something to say about that sequence right there. Cause for whatever reason, I don't know why that line stuck with me, but it's like in a car. They're like, he picks him up, saves his life from the other characters who are trying to assassinate him. And they're like very quickly driving to his house as, uh, as a getaway. And all the while he's looking through that folder. And that's when that line comes up that you mentioned. And I'm just curious, like what contents can you look through in like a matter of like 10 to 15 seconds within a folder to make you react saying my whole life, you know, like what (laughs) chapter three, subsection seven. It's like when you were seven, it's like, okay, they've got like my birth certificate. They've got like when I graduated high school, they got that first divorce that I went through. It's like how many items could there possibly be in there to make you say like my whole life is in this folder? (laughs) It's interesting to think about what would that look like for you? This is just rephrasing your question, but what would somebody have to show you, hand you an envelope and you look through it and you're like, everything's here. That's my point is like, I don't think you could do that to me. No. Like, and even if you could, there's no way it would be the size of that folder and that I could look through it that quickly. Right, right. Right. To just jump so quickly to like my entire life. It's I, I could be like, oh, you've got like 30% of my life in here. <laughs> and nowadays that would just be, instead of being like this amazing feat that they were able to scrape some database for all of the relevant information of your life. Now, if you presented mm-hmm. me with something like that, it'd just be like, oh my God, you're a loser. You've just been like Googling me <laughs> and looking through my Facebook history and downloading everything. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Think about like the amount like how much larger that file would even be now just because we generate so much more information Uh than we used to. This one scene that I really like that I think is just hilarious that just kind of like follows this movie logic is the scene where uh, John Cusack decides to save the the father when he's like jogging Uh down the street. And so let me pull it up here. But just the proximity (laughs) of the van with the assassin to the jogging dad is just ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Very close. Conceivably, where if you were jogging, you would definitely know that there was a guy with a sniper rifle like hanging out of it. Well, first of all, you would definitely know that there was a weird van perpendicular to the street 20 feet ahead of you. 
Was I wrong in, in what we just watched? And it was like in the middle of the road. It wasn't even like parked anywhere. No. It was just like in the middle of a, an intersection. Yeah. <laughs> These are professional hitman people. Right. Well, at least Dan Aykroyd, if he was a hitman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd's in this movie. Well, dude, what is up with his character? He's so like fucking weird. Yeah, he's played a little over the top. Like what is the what's the, the movie's thesis on why he's like that? Like, is he just a weird guy? A weird, like, killer guy? Yeah. Hmm. His dynamic with John Cusack is kind of interesting. Like, uh, Kartik was asking me, he was trying to figure out who is this guy and why is he, like, simultaneously extending this guy an olive branch to join his hitman union. But also trying to kill him. Also trying to kill him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those two things are, like, overlapping, like, in the final fight scene. Right. He's like, join my side. Really quick on the final, uh, since he just did the finger guns, on the the final showdown Uh like the complete like lack of gun recoil (laughs) is really is really funny to me (laughs) they're shooting real guns like you would shoot like water pistols yeah it's just like flapping like all over the place and like pulling the trigger does nothing to the physics of your body right so i wonder if you have any more insight as to how like i mean obviously that was then and and this movie feels like it could have been done by like a very skilled uh like college filmmaker (laughs) yeah even like the action sequences were not something that were like boggling my mind how realistic they seemed right but what do they do nowadays to try to make those gunshots seem i think like one method is you have like gas-powered guns or they're just like blanks with real guns So, like, gas guns, like, kind of, like, kick back like a real gun would, but nothing is being released, or sometimes it's, like, harmless pellets, uh-huh. kind of like airsoft, airsoft stuff, or you just have a blank of a real gun. But these guns as, appeared like they weren't firing at all. Right, right. So Like, if you took away the muzzle flashes that were added in post-production, you would see nothing. Like, the guns are just, like, the triggers are being pulled, but the guns are not moving Just two idiots, like, flapping their arms with the guns. <laughs> the two-gun pose that Dan Aykroyd has, I think, is really funny. <laughs> like, it's just kind of like a... It's like if you were, like, miming, like, a, a shootout, if you're telling a story to your friend about this, like, shootout that you saw in a movie, and you're like, and then the guy's, like, how to shoot out. The body language that you would use to describe that is how Dan Aykroyd actually shoots guns in this movie. I mean, childhood me would have, like, no problems with the physics of their gun use. He would be like, <laughs> yeah, that's the way gun work. That's how I would do it if you asked me to mime how gun works. L- look at this. Uh, I have a showing a still here mid-firing where they just, like, overlay kind of the flash can, what what does this look like to you? Does this look good? Is this like a good job of them putting in the firing? It looks okay. It's on the TV, which I thought was really interesting. It looks real for that reason. Really? The muzzle flash being on the TV either means that it's real or someone actually did a really good job compositing that in. Huh. But And it's like it's more impressive because it's in the 90s. So Right, right. I don't really know what to make of it because it could, it could be either. I have an opinion on like this style and, and like this level of VFX for these action sequences. I really like it. Like what specifically? I like how cheap and fake it looks. Yeah. It gives me just the right amount of action. I really don't like modern day action movies. Like I'm thinking of franchises like the Jason Bourne goddamn shaky cam. There's a level of that that I enjoy, but I know what you mean. This I like so much. It just hits the right balance. I find it quaint. It really leans into the absurdity, right? Mm-hmm. And it like makes violence as something that's digestible, 
like i i know that there's probably and maybe we should talk about your quentin tarantino thing you have in your notes here but i know there's a lot of like schools of thought about violence versus hyper violence or violence at all in movies uh-huh. and whether it's good or bad to include in movies but i've always kind of enjoyed this type of violence because you know there's an argument to be made that violence is entertaining in the context of movies conflict it's a form of conflict when it gets so like real looking or like disturbing to look at then it's less enjoyable and it's just upsetting this is like leaning into the fact that it is uh, entertainment and silly and not supposed to look real yeah i mean dare i say this is the most wholesome gun battle sequence i've ever seen (laughs) what do you think about like the idea of hitmen like do they actually exist in the world i think hitmen exist really yeah give me one piece of evidence for that tiger king as someone brought up in our post zoom interview that's a good counter example i I just don't know if like in real life there is such a thing as like hitman like in the john wick style well i think you said this last night i think that the john wick like portrayal of hitman is obviously in a self-aware way really fantastical mm-hmm. not representative real life at all so the, the barest definition of hitman like i will accept like it is a murder that happens for the exchange of money uh, i'm okay that that probably does happen like in isolated pockets but the whole idea of this movie of there being like a database of hitmen and you pull up their like their file on your computer right like that's crazy i think you made a good comparison to like drug dealers last night uh-huh that they're like on the same social plane as drug dealers. Like you have, there's probably like very high dollar ones that are organized and maybe look and sound something like John Cusack in this movie. And there's also like the, probably the people who are being spoken to in Tiger King, where it's just like from some fucking like meth head that will like kill someone for you. Right, right. And so I guess that's actually a pretty good like analog, like the idea of drug dealers. Like that's another underworld illegal activity Mm -hmm. to compare it to. So I'm, my position is that there is no analog of hitmen that's in any way analogous to drug dealing. I I guess, except the case that you mentioned of sort of low level, low level drug dealers. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only thing that exists in the world of hitmen. And there is no hierarchical yeah, I don't think it's like organized or related or that hitmen just by nature of their trade are related or connected in any way. I think this is just me guessing here, but I mean, I think within the context of like organized crime, like the mafia, that hitmen exist. Uh-huh. But I don't think that they would refer to themselves as hitmen and they definitely don't go to like hitmen conferences in vegas every year <laughs> it's not it it's not acknowledged as like that's the thing that he does like he's a hitman okay it's just like a guy who is permitted within the crime family to kill people and then like with the lower level people it's just something that they do to get money okay actually so like mafia related people is actually like a good counter example i can't really like argue against that but i would say with the exception of organized crime outside of that context like do hitmen exist because that's the way this movie seems like this movie is these people are not killing drug dealers they're it seems like he's killing Mm -hmm. people in the upper echelons of society but on the legal side of the legitimate side of society yes like the hit is his father who as far as we can tell is just a wealthy capitalist and that's right so like do people in this rung of society do they do anything like this so so putting aside uh low level hits 
of the type of Tiger King and putting uh-huh. aside mafia and organized crime, do you think this thing exists? I don't know. I can't definitively say no, but I don't know. Can you look into it? Because I do not e- exist in that rung. Can you try to tap into that underworld? You asking me to do this? Yeah, do some investigative research. This is like the part in Reply All where uh, they cut to like... <laughs> And that's how, <laughs> and that's how this week's episode got started. And then it's Ooh. like the rest, the rest is like in the field, like audio recordings of me talking to like real hitmen. Yeah, that would be a really good reply all episode. And I like your impersonation of like a reply all host, <laughs> which is what I don't know. You just did it. I w- I wasn't really doing a bit. How did I do it? I don't know. I mean, I can't do it. It's like that's how we got started in this week's episode. That's how this week's episode got started. I don't know. Like, I'm a little bit surprised. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if hitmen were not real. And it is just like one of the most pervasive ideas in, in like Western culture that because we've seen so many movies and these things like are definitely a thing in movies that maybe everybody's just a little bit confused. Yeah, maybe. I think that like the concept of assassins is a real thing that like you know in different chapters of human history was like a more common thing huh you know what i mean i guess governments do that don't they assassinations yeah don't governments yeah so i mean like you could i think the concept of like an assassin has been around for like all of human history and then like obviously you have like the modern day government assassin which is like our kind of james bond secret agents nsa covert special operations types of people and then i think it's not hard to imagine like the private industry version of that Uh where it's just the same level of like military training but like on a contract basis but so i think all the ingredients there to imagine something like a hitman and then like that just being an easy story arc within movies Mm -hmm. so maybe you're right maybe it doesn't exist but i understand like why it would be so prevalent within pop culture i just thought of a good example I, i can't believe i hadn't thought about this but the way it's portrayed in Barry, the HBO show. Yeah, that's a great that's a great example. That's a great example. It's he's they're not like mm-hmm. super high level, like they're not part of an organization. They're they don't have an office like in this movie. Yeah, it's just a couple guys. It's a couple of guys, but it definitely is organized, right? I mean, like they uh-huh. it, it runs like a business like any other business would. Mm-hmm. They get clients, they do the work for them, they move on to the next client. Mm-hmm. Anyways, if any any listeners out there want to look into this themselves, <laughs> you can <laughs> tweet us at, at filmholepod. On this topic of like discussing the realism of hitmen and their and their practices, I want to talk about like the first I guess other than like the the prologue with the sniper rifle, the first like hit that we see on screen or attempted hit where John Cusack is in like a vent oh, or something. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty early in the movie and it's just kind of still setting up the fact that he's a hitman and like what his everyday life looks like. But he's attempting this hit on a guy who's sleeping in a hotel room or an apartment or something. And he's in a vent. John Cusack is in a vent above this guy and he's lowering some sort of like like cable camera like into this guy's mouth region from this vent hovering above him while he's sleeping and through the vent threading this weird like camera contraption thread and the idea is that he's going to lower it so close to his mouth that he will then use this like syringe device Mm. on top of the 
the camera cable to then send poison down through the camera and then into this guy's mouth. It's the craziest thing. The most like unnecessary extra way I've ever seen an assassination attempt go in a movie. And then it goes awry and like the funniest thing happens. He's like, fuck it. And then he like jumps out of his apartment, kicks his door down and oh. shoots him. Right. And you're like, you gotta be <laughs> fucking kidding me. Which seems to have maybe been like the more, like the better way to go. Uh-huh. The movie I think tries to justify it where immediately after that he's with his secretary and they're like, the clients are pissed off because he was supposed to die in his sleep. So I think the idea is that he had to kill him in a very specific way to get paid but still man like you couldn't come up with something that was less weird than like i'm gonna send poison down this like fish line camera (laughs) from a vent above this is part this kind of gets a little bit back to like my skepticism with this profession as a whole and and, like Uh the, the idea i have here is that it is just human life is so expendable it shouldn't be that hard to just get somebody to kill somebody else like that's not so valuable of a service that it can be something that is expanded into an industry in itself like like think of like john wick like you need to hire like the top assassin in the field to kill this person because this person is so hard to kill nobody is that hard to kill like like 99 percent of the people (laughs) watch your your step here buddy you know what i mean though like it's you just don't need like a john wick character who has like 40 shotguns in his basement because like most people can be taken care of with like a, i guess a so BB yeah. gun. i mean depends depends on who you are i want to see like an economic like market analysis of like hitman and i want to like hear a, a professor there is an interesting like argument about like at what social level do you become assassinated versus murdered uh-huh like, it's strictly, like, a class differentiation. Huh. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's, like, the same thing, but, you like, one is reserved for a very specific type of murder that strictly has to do with social relevance. Did they ever use, um, like, one word versus the other in Tiger King? Did, did they ever use the word murder? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? This is a good example, though, because I don't think that a hit on Carol Baskin would be considered an assassination. Yeah. You know? That would just be a murder. Right. But it's like it's this weird like X factor that it's like hard to pin down. Hmm. It's like obviously she's well known and she's now a celebrity, but like you wouldn't call that an assassination. Maybe it's political. I think so. Like between the essence of that word. Between like governing states, government government bodies. Yeah. Who would be the funniest person to like wake up tomorrow to a news report that like so and so got assassinated? And you're like, what? what would be the most absurd person yeah. like, to use the word assassinated with yeah like yeah I, i'm like it's tragic I, i'm shocked that this person has died but sorry you said that they got assassinated <laughs> rick moranis the honey i shrunk the kids guy oh that guy yeah it would be doubly funny because that's like one of those people who you're like oh you the guy from like ghostbusters like you would have to like you wouldn't know the name like right off the top oh yeah you would have to you, you'd be like oh my like Rick Moranis has just been assassinated and you're like, oh, I fucking know that name. Like, who is that? <laughs> that's like your first response. Oh, that's the guy from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think there's some comedy here to be had of just this like whole idea of like assassination versus just a violent crime. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think you're onto something there where you're like, wait, wait, oh, that's so sad. But you, I'm sorry, you said that they were assassinated? You would have to like really follow Are up you sure? on like what happened exactly. Are you sure that's the right word? <laughs> One thing I was trying to think of 
for us to do also is maybe like do a call in. Oh yeah. Is anybody available right now? I'm gonna send it to somebody and just to Chris? Like do you wanna get Yeah, I'll send it I'll send it to Chris to see if he's available. I don't have any high hopes, but if we can get him that would be fun. Yeah, it's no no harm, no foul. If we can get him in, that'd be cool. Oh uh, also by the way, I figured out why the movie's called Gross Point Blank. It's the name of the town, right? Yeah, well the gross point is so I had that figured out. But his last name is Blank. Oh yeah. Man, that's like that's two on the nose. It's like uh that part where he comes into contact with the the old high school like bully. Yeah. Or jock or whatever he is. And he's like, Hey, you remember me? And he like gets right in his face and he's like, I'm drawing a big fat blank. Yeah. Which both affirms that he does remember who he is and also hates him. <laughs> it affirms that he knows exactly who he is. He still remembers his name. Right. Well, actually, that's, uh, we, were, we were trying to get into some favorite scenes. That little dynamic that plays out between him and that bully guy, I really like. Like th- That happens, and then later on when, when they're kind of running through the empty hallways, he comes back again, and then he just gives them this like real... He really like... Ru- like rides into the bully he's like hey man like me and you like we don't have a relationship so whatever you're yeah. doing here it's all about you okay i have nothing to do with it right and i just thought like oh man that's what i want to tell my bullies that's like the coolest thing it was like the it was very intentional because it was the moment right when his love interest was watching him uh-huh unbeknownst to him so in a normal movie, it's like, ooh, this is where you figure out where the character really, who the character really is, right? Uh-huh. But he turns out to be this, like, very, like, thoughtful, like, doesn't start a fight with this guy. Right, right. Like, it, gives him, like, some, like, wisdom <laughs> and advice. And the guy tries to, like, read off some poetry, which I thought was right. really funny. What's the last word he says? He's like, I'll skip to the end. And, like, he just says, like, one word. For a while. Uh, for a while <laughs> for a while he's like no 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 listen for a while changes changes his tone one of the more ridiculous scenes from this movie i felt was like where they shoot up the convenience store <laughs> and it's like basically I, th- I feel like this is a a 90s trope or some sort of like comedy movie trope where there's like someone playing video games that involve some sort of like shooting and like them being so wrapped up in that that they don't notice like real like gunfire and gunfighting that's happening yeah you see that a lot so this guy's playing doom and i'm supposed to believe like in the 90s on a cabinet with like some like old shitty like sony tiny headphones that are definitely not enough to drown out the sound around him and he just like does doesn't hear the gunfire at all. Like they're in no way intended to be sound isolating in any way. Also, that's the guy that like works there, isn't that the cashier? Yeah, he's the cashier, and he's playing just video like, games on the job, playing Doom while he's supposed to be working. That scene when uh, John Cusack first comes into the convenience store is so funny. It's where his house used to be. But you don't know this yet. Um, but he like walks into this convenience store and he just starts like interrogating the cashier in a really funny way. He's like, who are you? Grace called it like pretty immediately. She called it? Yeah, she was like, oh, that's where he lived. Uh, like that's the spot where his house was or something. On our end, people were just like really confused. He's like, Kartik's like, what is the problem yeah. right now? When Grace said that, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. She's got these like weird intuitions that are just like really on point that come out like randomly. I had a really good moment the other day, Stacey and I were watching a television show and I called it that the characters were about to be in a car crash. 
the way yeah. they like the camera was placed it was placed in a way that you couldn't yeah. see out the front window very well which gave you the uh-huh. feeling um of not paying attention where you were driving yeah and then i'm like oh they're gonna get in a car wreck right now and then like two seconds later uh-huh. those moments are always like really frustrating where like in your own mind you know that you like predicted something moments before it happened uh-huh. But if you don't say it before it happened, like there's no reason anybody should believe. Oh, you. I knew the whole time. Yeah, right. <laughs> I knew that that was gonna happen. Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> Fucking Trevor, always trying to get attention, saying he like sees it coming. Do you ever like know anybody like that who was just like other who like wasn't like a child, you know, who just lied about things like that? Not that I could recognize. I knew a few people like that. Just and what I'm describing here is like someone who like tells very like unbelievable stories uh-huh. about themselves and it's to the point of where you just like want to tell them like don't don't do that man. Like you are like your social life seems fine. Like you don't need to fib about it's it. Like buddy, me. we all we all know what you're doing right now. Have you ever caught yourself like just telling like the dumbest white lie? to like a stranger or like in a social situation and you're just like why did i do that <laughs> so did you know that in the the convenience store did you notice the the uh, the cutout of the pulp fiction cast yeah i did yeah what'd you think of that it was cool i read up on it it was just like a little tidbit quentin tarantino was a fan of the movie and there was even some like back and forth about getting him a cameo like getting oh, really? shot or something but it just never materialized but he gave up the go ahead to use that poster there are very like tarantino-esque things in this movie yeah when did pulp fiction come out it came out in 94 reservoir dogs was two years earlier 92 i guess you can tell that it's definitely an influence right tarantino on this movie totally i think so i mean down to the costuming and then obviously the violence seems to be pretty tarantino-esque uh, Chris said that he's available, so we'll see what happens. I sent cool. him. Cool. Yeah, try to set him up. Hello. Hey, look at that. Can you hear them? I, Hello. I can hear. Oh, great. That's awesome. This works great. This is cool. Welcome to the Filmhole podcast. Welcome. Filmhole. It's good to be here. <laughs> so, uh, for our listeners, this is uh, Christopher, Maddie, and Savannah. Savannah, are you both there? Yeah, we're here. Chris is here. Okay. So we've kind of run the gamut on our thoughts, sure. but we're trying something new this time in bringing in a guest to like help us talk about this movie or give their just general reactions. I love Dan Aykroyd. I mentioned that last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like Mini Driver, right? Mini Driver? Yeah. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who's Mini Driver? Mini Driver. The love interest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And of course, John Cusack. All, all three of those. This it was, you know, it was a big name movie. It was. I, I feel like it was. Just as far like, as the actors in it. Yeah. Big name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were talking about this movie's notoriety and how and it's interesting you bring up the actors too because it doesn't seem to have a lot of notoriety. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it before. I had heard of it before. Uh, it was nothing what I thought it was, and then again, it was. You know, because it's about a. It's about a killer, which gross point blank sounds like a you know action movie, but then it's also kind of a, a rom com as well. Yeah, rom com is kind of the third genre that we didn't mention. That is also like a, a kind of the third leg of this movie. I don't even know how to start with that one. Why is Minnie Driver even available in the first place? Like she's just been in stasis for the last ten years. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was the and 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 like I kept thinking like, why why is she so like hung up on this guy? <laughs> no, that they met like ten. They were together like ten years ago. It just brings me back to like that that era of movies focusing on teenage you know the teenage yeah yeah for sure i was trying i was trying to make a a similar point earlier as well so for me i'm not i mean i steer clear of action movies i'm not one for gore um and obviously you know this movie movie was pretty bloody (laughs) but i definitely think that having that focal point of the romance you know i'm a rom-com fan it's i i watch a lot of trash television and pick out those (laughs) Those Netflix movies that make you cringe, Hallmark movies, whatever. Um, totally. But I definitely think having that romance as the focal point made the gore super bearable. It didn't bother me at all. And this is coming from somebody who ran into the bathroom and almost threw up during um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which we also... It's cream. We, we also mentioned like the comparison between this movie and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because like all the action or, or at least the big part of the action, you know, comes at the very end. Like, right. I, I think I've heard like a comedian talk about how, you know, you're watching a, an episode of a show and, you know, it's like five minutes from the end and they're, they're like, oh, they're not going to be able to fit the rest of this in. That's kind of what I was feeling like about. 15 minutes from the end of the movie i was like mm-hmm. oh they gotta they gotta bring this to the end they're not gonna make it <laughs> then they did it yeah but they wrapped it all up it was, it was good yeah we were just talking about the comparison to tarantino mm-hmm. it seems to be a kind of a common thing in a lot of his movies where the biggest action set piece you know kind of happens in the third mm-hmm. act not uncommon for action movies in general but kind of cranking it to 11 very all of a sudden very yeah very at the, quick. At the tail end yeah we also yeah. mentioned just before you came into the call that there is actually a easter egg from tarantino in the movie i don't know if you oh no way if you two picked up on this but in the convenience store that oh, no, 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 wait don't tell them i think maybe they know okay to to be totally like oh. disclose everything once upon a time in hollywood is yeah, the yeah. one and only tarantino film You're i've gonna seen get kicked off the film so. <laughs> <laughs> chat disconnected <laughs> <laughs> recording <Sorry. delayed. laughs> i'm really branding myself on this podcast as something i don't want to be branded as. no i want to ask you some more questions about the the romance side of this because <laughs> trevor and i just completely glossed over that right i don't want to live in any stereotypes but i'm game do you so okay what what was the easter egg they have a question oh the easter egg right right so there was just a there's a cutout. What do you call those, Trevor? They're the things, the cardboard cutouts that they set up at movie theaters to promote. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you go to a movie theater, they'll have a cutout of, like, the Marvel cast and their costume that it's, like, real life-sized. A standee. But they just had one of those in the convenience store for Pulp Fiction. Ah. It's a really quick cutaway because it's, like, during the gunfight uh-huh. with the the little man. And it does get shot, so that means that they had to consciously put the, the squibs on the back of the cardboard cutout right. so they would blow away and look like it got shot. Yeah. Right. Okay. Romance questions. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So my my big romance question, do you think that the, the female character should have taken John Cusack back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, you know, each to their own. If she really loved him, sure. I do remember having a thought, and, and full disclosure, 
you know, we had some some lag issues at the beginning, you know, um, with the audio syncing up with the, the pictures. So I was a little distracted, but I do recall um, that scene when he walked into her recording studio and she just like kissed him. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, like, hey, how, how you been? Like, you ditched me 10 years yeah, ago. Without missing what? a beat. Right. So, right. so she just went in and kissed him and... and it, it did take me aback a little bit, you know, the, just not how I would react in a situation like that. Um, it's not how any real person would react. It's the most ridiculous. <laughs> it did not seem I, true to life. No. To say the least. I think no. I think the the methodology there is trying to establish both of these characters is like very on another level too too cool for school. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Where like. And and to that point of like it not being true to life, I on an you know on the other hand, I understand you know you're in her case you know the first love of her life comes back and that's an overwhelming emotion. I I personally wouldn't just like fall right into their arms or anything, but I understand the emotion behind that, and I think that rings true. I just don't think I could keep that first love flame going for like a decade, maybe, and definitely not in. Any sort of way that would possess me to like kiss what is essentially a stranger, right? As soon as they come into my talk, they lost me at the kiss. I get the emotion, you know, especially from somebody who kind of disappeared from your life without without any explanation. I think there are some really re- real emotions that go along with you're almost stunted in in that feeling towards them because you didn't learn anything else. Mm-hmm. You didn't learn how to feel towards them any other way than how you felt right before they left. Well, for what it's worth, I I think that she should not have taken him back because he <laughs> left without explanation. He comes back without an explanation. This guy's, you know. To be fair, his explanation was, "I am a professional killer." Yeah, was, yeah he did. He was very honest. It was yeah. funny because he kept saying that throughout the whole movie, like telling people that, mm-hmm. and I'm like. Wait, you're just coming out and saying that? <laughs> I thought that it would raise too many eyebrows. Yeah. I would not have taken him back, but I, I understand the emotion behind it. I think I think all of this, the the love interest taking him back, and the kiss, and all the other you know stuff that goes on between the two, works because of Minnie Driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I, I think I always I've always seen Minnie Driver as like a kind of like a quirky type character and i and yeah you got to be super quirky to like hook back up with a hitman after (laughs) figuring out he's a killer i mean she's just you know she just doesn't care you know yeah Uh, i agree she does play the role really well in the same way that like john cusack fits perfectly into this like suave guy role yeah yeah Yeah. i feel like my my whole perception of their relationship is that they were People in high school who were both like very counterculture and just like way too cool for their environment, mm-hmm. and that like that's why they're able to like sidestep all of the weird social barriers that are in between them later in the movie. Where he's been gone for ten years, he's a hitman. She realizes that he's a contract killer, but like in the end, it's all fine because they're like both the same kind of person. Mm. Right. I want to talk a little bit more about that whole like she very easily is just like after she witnesses him like murdering someone like comes back within like eight hours and is like you had to kill him right like is just justifying things like immediately Uh it's like you had to kill him right and he's like yeah that's what I do like I kill bad people and she's like okay 
we can still that be together. That is fine. You do that right away, though. She already knew. Well, she didn't. Know. I mean, what would it what would it take you to like get over the fact that your significant other was a yeah, murderer? no, no about. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it would it would take a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and along the same lines, the buddy just like immediately up for anything. He's like, "Oh, this guy's dead. Oh, let me just roll him up in this school banner." <laughs> Did you guys enjoy this movie overall? Would you recommend it to others? Overall, like entertainment value you got out of this? Yeah, I I would for sure. I thought it was a great movie. You know, I had known about the movie title for a long time, but I'd never seen it. I thought it was a really good movie. We're we're podcasting. We're on a podcast. Say hello. <laughs> hello. Well, hello. <laughs> Who are we talking to? My dad. Hey, dad. The very Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> Am I on the podcast, dear white people? No, <laughs> no, that's. I'm happy to be on with the thumbhole pod. I thought we were doing one of my family. <laughs> You're so funny. I thought it was a dog again. I was <laughs> I was editing um one of my podcasts today, and I could hear the host's child scream in the background, mm. and he just kept going. <laughs> Like the audio equivalent of uh, when the kid walks in during the Zoom exactly. meeting. <laughs> yes. So we heard some of Chris's like thoughts, entertainment value, Savannah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it drew me in. I Like I said, I got a little distracted because it wasn't syncing up and my mind went elsewhere. But by the end, I was obviously annoying Christopher because I kept asking, who's that? Who's that? He says, literally, that, that man's been in here since the beginning. Um, <laughs> it was like at, at the fight scene and she didn't know who dan Aykroyd was i was like we saw him in in like the third minute but definitely drew me in i'll watch it again so that i get everything would recommend that for sure it's a good movie we should make a, a complimentary podcast not not about film because obviously we what's the opposite of a hole <laughs> <laughs> um a mountain a mountain the film mountain. i like that that just like sounds like you're trying to one-up us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what's next week that's a good question we should consult the list maybe we could get some like listener which is our guests here feedback we can maybe use that to influence our votes yeah this week. any general thoughts on the kind of movie you would like to see or or just genres of movies that you want to see more represented at the film hall yeah do you have a list we can choose from or we do have a list yeah Let's pull that up genre what kind of genre do you think yeah i'm a big fan of dystopian stuff and space stuff ah nice okay like a witty comedy dark humor is cool too we have a couple of dark humor entries on here which are what i see you added the art of self-defense which is like a yeah that's a great black comedy we could also do the lobster mm -hmm. yorgos what's his face um, that's like a dark comedy. 1941 was one of my favorite movies. Animal House is a really good one. Chevy Chase, like Fletch, Cannonball Run, those are great. Friends, I have to get going. Hey, this is awesome. You guys are doing great. You kind of inspired me to start my own podcast. Thanks for ha like, thanks personal. for coming on, guys. No, I, I love what you guys are doing. It's really fun. I'm really honored that. Uh, I get to be a part of it. And we'll I've never had, rise higher. I've this had a is lot the of peak fun. of our lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we'll let you. Uh, yeah. We'll let you two go. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. What would you give the movie for a rating overall? Hmm. Trying to think of a a unit. 
I, I'm very unhappy with the units that I pick. I know it's coming. Like I need, I know that I need to start thinking of a funny <laughs> unit, and it always surprises me, and I always uh-huh. come up with just bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly impressed with uh, nine out of ten horses for horse girl. <laughs> yeah, prime example. It's just like. <laughs> Like the equivalent of shuffling papers, like on your desk, you just come across like the title of the movie: <laughs> Nine Horses. No, nine girls out of ten. <laughs> All right, for gross point blank, I'm gonna give this nine poison camera threads out of ten. All right, and I will give this movie eight point five old time computers out of ten. Let's try that again. Come on, man. You can do better than that. I'd give this movie 8.5 Doom Arcades out of 10. Great. That'll work. What do you want to do next week? Um, So we got some feedback. Sounds like it was mostly comedies. I kind of like alternating. A lot of what we've talked about here seems a little similar to what we watched mm-hmm. this week. So maybe a departure from that. I, had some, I okay. put some thought into which ones I'm going to put the star up to. Okay. I like the idea of like watching a movie that's like not thought of that often, like in the future. Like it's not something that's a cult classic, like nobody's mm-hmm. thinking about it anymore and just like watching something. Right. I'll put one next to primer as well. Ooh. Cause I would be down for that being that's like not fully in the other direction of serious, but it is a serious uh-huh. movie and it has some sci fi elements to it. So for me it would be like kind of a nice easy transition into the other side of the spectrum wow. of movies. I and I am so inspired by what you just did, Trevor, that I know that we can do more together than apart. So I'm gonna put another star by primer. <laughs> that might be our winner. No. It's a both a serious movie and a sci fi movie, which would be a nice uh that's an unexplored area. Primer it is. All right. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by W. Look them up at at underscore W on Instagram. That's underscore and the word double and two U's. Editing this week is done by the beautiful Grace Fawcett. Thanks, Grace. Wherever you're listening, give us a good rating. Connect with us at at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we must have like the best social media coordinator ever. Thanks again. See you next week. Special thanks to Grace Fawcett. Kartik. He seems like a nice dude, to be honest. Christopher Matty. I love Dan Aykroyd. Savannah Smith. And almost threw up during Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Bobby. Am I on the podcast Dear White People?